They're all here. The divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me. I'm David Goldberg. These are the Luminaries. Whether he's shutting down Twitter, stand-up stages, or writer's rooms, the comedian Alex English is always the most mercilessly funny bitch in the room. He joins me to talk about his career and finding his voice. Oh, yeah. I'm here with Sagittarian Prince Alex English. <laughs> When's your birthday? December 16th. It's okay. It's coming up. It's coming up. How old are you turning? <sighs> 31. Wow. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy. The 30, 30 was dope. Yeah. 30 was cool. I did a lot of fun things. 30, I didn't think they were going to happen, so... I don't if that's if thirty was fun like this, then thirty one probably would be down. I feel like you traveled a lot, thirty. <laughs> I did I did some traveling. Okay. Not the not like the extensive kind. Like not 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 like the kind of like abroad right. stuff. There's more seeing more of the country, but of the United States. But I mean I guess that counts, too. Yeah, I just feel like you—I feel like 30, you were more prolific than everywhere. I feel like there was, like, a little of you everywhere. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's that's always good to hear. I'm always like, hmm, not on the road that much. But oh, okay. it always feels that way. But, like, I did have, like, a adventurous um, summer. D.C. Thought I'd, but I love—I go to D.C. a lot, though. But, like, okay. Boston and—, and, uh, and um, I mean, even like two years ago, I was like, I went to Miami for the first time. I had never been there before. And then I ended up performing. But I went there and like spent New Year's, New Year's, New Year's Eve there and uh, wildest time of my life. Damn. Had to drink a lot of water, though. But I was very responsible with that, except for the fact that I left my debit card at one of the clubs that I went to. Oh, man. And I had to wait until like the next day at like 6 p.m., 7 p.m. until, like, the bar, the club opened back up. So I was like, you know, well, what place is here except Apple Pay? <laughs> so that Humility. was a challenge. I was just spending the day eating McDonald's at, in Miami. It was weird. <laughs> it's just like I'm punishing myself. Yeah, you're still brought down to that place. Yeah, peaks, yeah. peaks and valleys. So yeah. for you, because I know you've been having a lot of gigs in writers' rooms. I'm mm. curious about, like, how concurrently you're doing stand-up. Like, what's that been like to either balance or develop your stand-up and be going on the road while you're doing these uh, jobs, basically, where you're in a writer's room? So, um, the first job I got, honestly, the first, what I'll say at large for these writing jobs, I haven't had as many as, uh, as some of my peers, but I do, I can sense that this is kind of the same way across the board. Um, it truly depends on the schedule of your room. Like, okay. if you have a, a head writer or a creator that really wants you to be there from 10 a.m., you know, 9.30 to, like, 6 or whatever, typically those are, like, the late-night show hours. <clears throat> I think more on, like, I think it's more loose on, like, your scripted, you know, experiences. Right. Like, they're, they're, they're like, okay, come in at 11 and, like, just get some get, get all your shit done and then you can get out at 5. Amazing. But I think with the late night shows, especially now and in the direction that all the late night shows are going in, you know, with it's so like it's so topical and everything, you know, Trump has done something every other two minutes. So you have to always kind of keep up with what the hottest take is on something. So those um, those hours are a bit more draining and taxing, which takes you away from stand up if you are in a writer's room and doing stand up. Mm. So in my experience, it it took away from the stage time that I was getting, like, how I'm getting it now. And I was thankful for that. And, and honestly, it it helped me, especially recently, discover how much more I wanted to be doing stand-up than being a television writer, if you know what I mean. Like, like when I first started stand-up, I didn't know that stand-up comedians go into television writing. I had no clue that comedians wrote on television shows. I was like, oh, maybe they make their own shows and then you know that you know I didn't know anything about it um so stand up has always been the the base like the root the origin of everything I've been doing so I would be at work you know of course living the dream and like writing a tv show and you know making good money finally and like working in comedy but I would find myself being depressed by the content that we were covering and then on top of that I would have to like cancel a spot that I was anticipating doing because I had more new jokes to work on, but I couldn't because I was at work. Or I would be running so late to a show that it could possibly potentially be over by the time I make it there. 
or it's just like, you know, you don't want to run late, you know, just for if you only have one show. This so, is really good crazy. to hear because I feel like every single comedian I know, mm-hmm. their end game is like, I just want to get in a room. I just want to get in a room. And I totally get that. But yeah, I, yeah the, I don't know that that's like. That's it. And that's if and that's it for some people. Like some people truly I've seen some people start off in stand up and then now they're just they're all they're doing is writing on television. Yeah. So there are career writers and then there are your stand ups who get those jobs. And I find that often when stand ups get those kind of jobs, especially the late night shows, um, they check out at some point. If you mm. really want to do stand-up, it's like, well, this is taking away from... And it's also a day job. <laughs> yeah. this, like, it's still a day job. Like, <laughs> and I think a lot of people who get into comedy don't want to have to go to an office, you know? And so that was... That's where my mind, you know, was always going to. I'm like, damn, I, I thought this was going to be something else. And then it's totally work again. You know, and if and it, and it, dep- and it truly depends too on I, I've had I've had good writing jobs. I've had bad writing. Well, not bad, but like I've had like tense writing jobs. I've had pleasant, pleasant ones. So once you see the differences in how a show can be ran, it truly depends. So it depends on like what you're dealing with. I feel like with you, especially on stand up stages and on Twitter, I think you're very much into like you're very interested. I've noticed in like the dialogue with the audience and like mm. not just actually the writing of the joke, but like then fucking with people once you said it. <laughs> and I'm curious, like you, how, you, how I think developed. you, I think you nailed it with okay. that last, those last few words. You love fucking with people. That has always yeah. been my thing. <laughs> you can't really do that from within a writer's room. You not have really. To be I mean, like, you can try. There are some moments I think yeah. I, I won certain. There, I, I used to get some wins when it came to like writing on TV shows. Like mm. I, 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 I do enjoy fucking with people and I enjoy fucking with like especially people that I identify with. It's mm. fun to make everybody else outside of my groups, you know, laugh and that's great. That's a given to me. Yeah. But when I get groups of gay people, groups of black people, black men, like black women, like when I, I when I get their reception and they've been fucked with, that's yeah. when I'm the most happy. <laughs> Because I, I am a troll, yeah. <laughs> so I've been told. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why you and Sydney and Marie kind of have, like, a perfect balance between the three of you. Those are my you troll one yeah, another. Yeah, we troll one another. We troll everybody else. The world. Trolling the world. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's really how we bonded way back when we first started doing mics, you know. It was just, like, we noticed the BS kind of around, like, circling around comedy and outside of it, so we were always able to just call. Plus, for for them, it's also really easy to roast the world when you're both gorgeous. Right? <laughs> so It really it's works. It's just kind of easy to do. Being yeah. hot, yeah. <laughs> did you have that, like, when you were growing up, did you feel like your, like your family and friends and, like, the community you came up with when you could be dark and call people out and make fun of them? Did they get it? Like, was it received? Well, so here's the thing. Uh, according to my mother, she makes this very clear. She said this to me numerous times. She said, Alex, you've never made, you never made me laugh a day in your life when you were a kid. <laughs> she said that, though, meaning that I was not a silly kid. I really right. wasn't, like, goofy and out there. If anything, a lot of cousins of mine who are now getting to know me a little bit more because they follow me on the Internet and they, they see me talking a lot. Or, or writing writing a lot and like they hear my voice now and they're like well Alex you were always so quiet like because uh-huh. my family can really get on your nerves very quickly and so I've always been the type to like observe them I spend a lot of time like when I, I'm going home for Thanksgiving and I'm like getting ready to like prepare myself to sit back and just <laughs> listen to everything that I hear and just kind of look and give and I think now my family is starting to pick up on my comedic stuff more than they used to because I can get away with a little bit more now because I'm grown. So I can say, you know, I've always had a smart mouth, but I can, like, say things now that kind of, like, make my family go, hmm, Hmm, what's what was that about, Alex? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, but I sit in my my space and I let them go and be themselves. I'm not judging y'all, but, you know, my, my family... I was no, no one said I was going to be in entertainment. My mother never was like you you, you don't do it or no, she she always encouraged me to do whatever I please. I just don't think comedian was the way that they really? thought I was going to go because I just wasn't like I wasn't like the class clown. Like I didn't really wow. do a whole lot. I wasn't like the guy that was in trouble all the time for clowning around. Um I was pretty much like a floater though. So the fact that I knew that I kind of, like, didn't have, like, one set group of friends, like, everybody in my class kind of just fucked with me, you know, yeah. here and there. 
it made me feel like I could relate to everyone in a way. So I kind of took that with me. I, like, I had that same kind of, I kind of, I had that same disposition like in college too. So I just took that with me. It's shocking to hear that because I feel like I would say you and probably Michelle Collins in terms of like people I've seen on stage who are the <laughs> fastest. I feel like you're the fastest performer I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to hear that that wasn't like obvious to everyone. I guess I'm curious how long it took you once you started doing stand up for you to feel like totally confident and like present and able to like engage with people as well as you do i think once i started getting more confident in the material Mm. was when that happened because i used to get really nervous going on stage because i was part of that was me not being prepared and not really knowing what i wanted to make jokes about and not really knowing still very insecure like in who i was or how i was coming across to people as as an individual as a character i don't know how i'm being looked at on stage so i just i did i didn't i tried my best not to like tone myself down but what I did need to do you said fast and I know what you mean when you say fast but for me I had to learn how to slow down when I spoke Mm -hmm. because a lot of times I would feel like well why isn't this joke getting a laugh the way that I want oh maybe it's because I'm doing comedy in Times Square and and there are a bunch of foreigners here and they have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about (laughs) because I'm from Detroit (laughs) <laughs> and I have this accent whom people which think people think are from the south, you know? So it's I had to consider a lot of things about my delivery and right. like like, you know, and that also helped that also helped the, the delivery of the joke. Like like, oh, slow down, Alex, you know, cuz I was always like the fat. I was like the kid that read fast in class cuz he I knew how to read, so yeah. I wanted to show off and like all the other kids who didn't know how to read wanted to whip my ass cuz <laughs> Cause I'm literate, you know. So you know, we always get those bullies. But uh, but no, I had to. Um, I think with with preparation and just having more material and being more confident in it and and practicing and repeating, like mouthing the jokes to myself on the street, looking like a crazy person, helped a lot with me being able to confidently get up there. And like, now I get a little anxious before some shows, but now I don't even like feel it anymore. Like I'm kind of over. Like I don't even care if I bomb. Like whatever, yeah, I'll do another show. Die. It'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> Who cares? Like, what, how bad can it? Thank be? God for death. You know, it really like. <laughs> <laughs> thank God for death. It really closes like so many. It ties so many loose ends. When you think about it, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious because I think on Twitter, I think like Ryan Leach is the darkest white gay, and I think okay. you're the darkest oh. black gay. <laughs> okay, that that could be that that, had, that could be multiple things actually. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the dark. I mean, Larry Owens is a little darker than. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm curious if you've ever gone too dark. Mm. Like, if you've ever, like, if you ever feel like you've done a joke where you've been like, okay, they did not like that. I used to do, uh, not on on Twitter necessarily, but on stage. I haven't done it. Sometimes, some, like, Sometimes I'll try to try this. It never works, but I swear it's funny. So I say, um, sometimes I'll say, I do a whole bit about being from Detroit. It's a whole, like, 10-minute thing. But part of it in the beginning is I say, um, I was in the closet when I was a kid. But when I, uh, when I'm from Detroit, so my closet was covered in bullet holes. <laughs> and then I tag it with, like, um... And I just feel like someone should have told my dad there was a much easier way to get me to come out. (laughs) Now, you're laughing. (laughs) How I, like, I I just, I don't understand why it never works. That joke, that that part of that joke always bombs. And it makes me feel so bad because I'm like... Well, come on, y'all. Like, I've cried want? about this so that I could joke about this. Come on, let's get it out there. So, yeah, you know, but, you know, see, the fact that you laughed at it, now I'm going to go and do it tonight. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's like, I'm a masochist because, like I, like, I hate the fact that that joke bombs so much because it's actually one of my favorite things to say, yeah. which it is, it is truly dark. But it's also not real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I love about Sydney, actually, uh-huh. is Sydney's thing on stage when a joke doesn't go well is that if she's going down you're coming with her so she'll be like oh you didn't like that and yeah. then stop everything like what that 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 didn't do it for you am I yeah. not doing it and then of course she wins us back <laughs> so there is that aspect of like if you're bombing just like keep I mean it going. one thing I, like I, I, I spend a lot of time watching a lot of the old comics that I like enjoyed watching like past and present like mm. like Patrice O'Neill is one of my favorites and he always said this thing that kind of stuck out to me it's not even really a joke he's just like if it's bombing, don't let the audience know 
that it's bombing. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like push through. Because anything, honestly, ignoring the bomb to me is funny. Because <laughs> when they don't laugh at something, they're just like, all right, well. And they're like, oh, God, he's like really confident. He doesn't yeah. even care. But I think sometimes some people have really funny ways to like avert from out of themselves, out of the bomb, you know, you got the person that's like, oh, yeah, I deserve that. You know, like, or there's the person that's like, oh, I just wrote this this morning. You know, I, I, I try to do that sometimes. It's a lie, usually. I'm like, yeah. oh, y'all got, y'all, that was that was the joke I wrote while I was hot today. Thanks for <laughs> telling me to go back to the drawing board, you know? Now we can come back together, you know? I, I, there's this interview with Molly Shannon where she said that on SNL, she and Will Ferrell, when one of them was bombing, they would encourage the other to, like, double down on it. <laughs> so, and then they would just go harder and harder just to make each yeah. other laugh. Uh, Those are the, the original audience. trolls, yeah. <laughs> the first trolls. The first trolls, yeah. So, okay. This is what I'm very curious about with you because the way that the scene is right now is there are a million – in New York City, there are a million white gay comedians. Yes. And more or less, until they can figure out their voices, they usually copy from one another and there's kind of a gay voice if you're a comedian you can default on for yeah. your first two years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you – don't have that because <laughs> you are not another white gay. And I know you've kind of been out there yeah. and I'm so curious about like out there in the white gays or <laughs> in the white let's let's be let's be specific here. <laughs> you kind of like had to develop a real voice on your own yeah. and in totally different spaces. Yeah. So I'm just curious about your journey as a stand-up in like spaces of color, mm-hmm. um, developing your voice as a gay person, feeling safe to present it, like being able to handle that. Mm. I think I think my voice comes from a very um, authentic place. Not to say that anyone else is, if they all kind of sound similar, it doesn't, because we all come from something. Right. But for me, I think I don't sound like anybody else. I agree. And one thing that I learned, like, about myself through doing comedy is that I am being the most myself that I ever was. Because back when I was like, even in college, you know, sure, people, you know, I hate these people who who are like, Alex, were you really in the closet? I mean, do you think people didn't know? I hate that question. Do you think people didn't know? Okay, who cares? All right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Motherfuckers were like, yeah, we know. We knew what was up all along. I I hate those people when you come out and they're like, yeah, we already knew. Fuck you, all right? <laughs> At least make me feel like I was putting up a good front. You know? Come on now. I don't need, I get I get rid of them people. You don't need that type of negativity in our life. Yeah. All right. So all the gays out there, have your come out moment. Don't feel don't let nobody shame you into being like you wasn't hiding it. Like you did your best, damn it. All right. Okay. <laughs> but uh it comes from, you know, my 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 ability though to to do any room. I think I think for me it's been any room. I it came from the very beginning when I was like, I just want to get on stage. So to me, it never really mattered who I was in front of. You know, I do get an extra bit of joy out of making a sea of black people die hysterically. Yes. That is something that I really, really take pride in because, you know, my people, we, we, you know, a lot of people are hurting, you know, and I just yeah. like, I like seeing them have a good time. Yeah, that makes definitely. me feel good. Um, again, like I'm from Detroit. And I'm a millennial, but I'm like that. I'm like that weird cusp of like older millennials. So like, you know, I didn't go to prom with my boyfriend. You know, I had girlfriends. You know, I used to be homophobic. You know what I mean? I used to be all of the phobics. You know, weird. So I had to like really kind of like dive out of who I used to be, and not become something different. Because a lot of people move to like other cities like New York and LA and think they can they have to reinvent themselves. I don't think it was reinventing for me. It was just uh, something that I needed. I needed to grow mm. up. I needed to like, there were a lot of, I was doing a lot of bad shit when I, before I got to where I am, even before I got to New York. I was like getting engaging in a lot of bad behavior. For someone that went to college and like did everything that they were supposed to do, I was still acting out. So... I think, um, like, when I go to, like, black rooms all or, or black rooms, are they, they defer, like, every other room. They, like, you know, you have your older black crowd, like the, the, uh, the aunties yeah. and the uncles showing up, you know. And I've bombed in those places. There are some times where, oh, black people ain't trying to see some young some young black dude up there being gay and talking about, you know, suck this and you know you didn't they like, oh my God. But there are some audiences who cut them them same black people walk up to me and they love it. Okay. Um and I think it just comes from, you know, 
there's, there's, to me, in my background, everybody just kind of always got their opinions out very loudly, you know, and it didn't, it didn't matter what the subject was. So I think I picked that up yeah. just kind of unashamedly speaking out. Now, I couldn't do that when I was a kid again because I come from, like, a family where it was, like, children are meant to be seen and not heard. So that's kind of crazy. My mom, That backfired on my mama three, com, a complete 180 because, like, now I'm just being seen and heard all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so we see what happened. But, uh, I, yeah, I think my my ability to navigate it, though, has just been, like, listen, I'm pro- I'm professional. I'm nice to people. You know, until given a reason not to be anymore, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I move around because there are some comedians, you know, who are like, OK, I can only do black rooms. I can mm. only do this room. I can only do gay rooms because yeah. there are some I'm like, I don't want to just do one thing. I appreciate being invited to every everything that I'm doing, whether it's the gay pride stuff. And sometimes what's interesting is, though. I'm never quite sure how like the the gay the gay groups the gay shows find me because like the uh, New York City Pride reached out to me two years ago to like announce the floats as they were coming down the 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 float route but down the right. route and I'm sitting there like first of all how did you find me like I don't like I just walk around assuming that nobody really knows what I'm doing yeah. ever so then when I hear get a look like that I'm like oh that's pretty dope like. Who would yeah. have thought the that's and that's that's like one of the biggest pride festivals in the world and yeah. they wanted me to be a part of it. So I think I walk around s- s- being genuinely who I am across the board and I think for some reason everybody fucks with it. <laughs> yeah, um until you know, until I do something crazy and then people, you know, off off color and they're like, Oh, we can't fuck with Alex no more. In fact, he is kicked out of the LGBT community. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. That's why you're here. This yeah. is it. Um Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I saw you once. It was incredible at the knit. Um, a very, very famous comedian was dropped in and he started doing his kind of gay. He's straight. He started doing his like gay material mm-hmm. and it was very weird. And then he started. <laughs> was kind this of, after me? It was after you oh, went. OK. And then he started picking on you. Can huh. I, I'm just gonna say it was Michael J. Like, can we? Oh, just that's do my this? friend. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So maybe I read it differently. Oh, that was that night. No, no. I, okay. So here's 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 that. Okay. I, I would never call it picking because it's really in jest. He, he and I have a really really good got relationship. It. Okay. Because <laughs> I didn't know that. So from my point of view, I was like, Oh, oh my god, is he punching down? He's punching Alex. He's punching down on Alex. Well, he's taller than me. Yeah. <laughs> then, but what was amazing is that because he mm. was trying to get you, and you gave it right back, of and course. I was absolutely gagged. That's our relationship. Amazing. And so okay, so that that's a great example of like kind of who I am too because, like. Growing up, like we can say we can sit here and say what people thought they knew or like what they already assumed about me in the closet, you know, when I was a kid. But when I was like a kid, middle school, high school, once I started developing more of like my mannerisms and the way I spoke and like I could look I can look back and tell that people were catching on to like who I was and what was different if something was different yeah. about me. What didn't change, though, was the fact that my same friends was still stuck around me. Now, I have a very unique story because I think a lot of gay men, when they come out, you know, probably when they were in high school, whatever, their straight friends or whatever, abandoned them. Or maybe they walked away from having to, once they came out, they felt more like, oh, now I can be around other gay people and be comfortable with that. But I never, like, lost friends. Mm -hmm. So I've always been thankful for, like, the men in my life because, like, I kind of talk, I talk about it in my stand-up. I'm like, I don't, mind straight men because none of them have ever really done anything to me. I know I'm, I I recognize the privilege there. I don't know what it is, but I like I I have been a for, I've had the opportunity to experience some guys that have been very accepting and cool and things didn't change for me a lot. You know, I was 
on the basketball team. I was, you know, still doing all of these things, yeah. even while kind of cre- slowly tiptoeing out of the closet. But the guy still fucked with me for some reason. And I, yeah. but the, there was also that longing of wanting to dip out and be with other gay men. But for some reason, I just always end up around straight men, even in college. <laughs> like, college, like, College, like, I was doing a lot of things on campus. Like, I was, like, a radio. I did, like, I, did, I worked in radio. I worked in the, um, in the, in the, I was in the journalism department. I wrote for the newspaper. I wrote for the magazine. So, I was, like, an active figure on campus, seemingly so. And the LGBT, like, you know, all of the groups, all the gay groups, organizations that were on campus were reaching out to me to do all these things. Amazing. But I was, like... I'm not really out of the closet like that, and I don't want people wanting my. I just I was still in school, so I was like, I don't want people being in my business. I'm just out here doing my thing. Meanwhile, I'm trashing everybody's events and stuff, you know, because I'm working writing editorial. Right, I'm on the radio talking junk, you know what I mean? (laughs) But I'm like, you're not gonna no, you're not gonna trap me like that. No, 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 no. I guess like I because I have so many bad associations with straight guys probably from my brothers and even now like I work at a restaurant and sometimes the straight guys will tell a joke and I'm like what's going on (laughs) I think because they feel maybe they don't have to walk on eggshells with you like that that you can hang maybe they feel more comfortable with you yeah because when with that night with Michael Che he started (laughs) asking you he was like so are you dating anyone and you were like why are you interested (laughs) and it was like yes it was amazing I trouble like that's that's the part that's the part that I'm like you just have to have your wits about you and be able yeah. to troll them back just troll them back what are they going to do you You're know right. they're not going to do anything I mean I I under but I understand everyone's experience is different with whom, whomever so if you know I again I recognize that my sensibilities may be different than than other gay men so I'd be telling straight men I'm like look they be telling me all they little fucked up jokes that they want to tell me and I'm like look that was funny, but be careful. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you, you can't be you can't you can't be doing that in mixed gay company. This gay you can do it in front of. I won't. I mean, unless it's harmful to someone, I'm gonna tell you like yo. But when they come for you, you're not gonna yeah save them. I, I don't know that man. I've never met that straight man. Go get him. Go get him. Mob. I want and I'm gonna watch them chasing them down the street. <laughs> no, but uh, no, Che, che and I are, are, are tight. Like I think. Uh, I, I'm somebody that's like, if you make me laugh, then chances are, like, I, I can't really then turn it around and be like, oh, I'm hurt by that or I'm offended. Like, I'm an honest person when it comes to laughter. And, like, so I can't be mad at something. Like, even if it's a joke on me, I can't be offended by it. And it, also, it's not like, I mean, I didn't really get bullied in school. Um, my f- first and only real bully in school was actually a girl, which is saying really right, right? <laughs> she, her name was Terry, and we grew up. We grew up all these years. Guess what? Now she's a lesbian. Yeah. That makes sense, right? She's a full butch lesbian. I'm like, oh, sis, we was you was just taking your stuff out on me. Yeah, I already <laughs> know. Uh, I never forget one time she uh. She uh, said something crazy to me, kept fucking with me. And I was like a new kid, too, because I was like, I switched schools and stuff. So she was picking on me. I was coming back from Ypsilanti. I used to live um, like in a little further of Michigan, like 45 minutes out. My mama was getting her degree. And so I was uh, around a, diff- a bunch of different kids, like, a diverse, like Indian kids, white kids, mm. other black kids, Mexican kids. It was like a really diverse community. It was called Ypsilanti, Michigan. And then we spent two and a half years there, and then trans... I transferred back to Detroit Public Schools, so I'm all fucked up. This is, like, from kindergarten to, like, the middle of third grade. So I'm talking different. I'm walking different. I was like, oh, everything is so fine. And then I'm like, oh, the black, I'm around the black kids now again. Oh, and so right. she was saying, she was picking on me so much, and then I had got fed up one time. But I knew I couldn't put my hands on her, so I threw my book bag at her. Yes. And so I had to wait for, like, 30 minutes because she called her, her, she, her, her brother was going to be outside waiting for me. So yeah, she she fucked with me a lot, but but I wasn't bullied like that. But I've heard people have said things to me that used to hurt my feelings, and but I'm like at this point, nobody can say anything to me that would make me upset. I've heard it all. I think I'm pretty sure I've heard it all. And you're not gonna beat me to a, 
my own joke about myself. Like I can, yeah. I can like, I, I know it's coming. Which you know? is good because I, I feel like you're a little more secure because I feel like the way the culture is now, it's like people are waiting for something to be offended by. Yeah. Even if it's not even about them, like they want to be offended for someone else. And yeah. it's good for you to be like, no, that's yeah. not interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I just want everybody to calm down a little bit. It ain't always like uh, I was in a I was in a bar hanging out once. It was me and my white homeboy that I used to wait tables with, you know, when, and he's always been like extra woke and like, you know, want to have black friends. He, he's like, I remember him being like, I don't want to be that gay that has like all the white boys in the pictures. I want to be like, cool. I'm like, all right, all right, chill out, chill out, Andy. You know what I mean? But we were at a bar together. <laughs> we were at a bar together and um, this white dude comes in and approaches me. And so he st- we start talking for a few minutes, and then he's like, um, I'm sure you have a big black cock. Saying, just says it to me, and I'm like, okay, here we go. But before we can pr- continue, my, my friend, he's like going off on him like, oh, yeah. don't do that, don't do that. Uh, 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 it's fetishism, and you that's racist and stuff. And I'm like, bitch, shut up, he's cute. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm trying to, I'm like, I can withstand that stupid comment to still be, you know, engaged yeah. in this because he's hot. Like, stop. <laughs> You're right. So sometimes I was just like, shut up. Just it's all You're of right. this, you know, you woke, I'm trying to sleep with him. Because I'm know? sure I would have, <laughs> I would have loved to be your crusader and being like, Michael Che terrorizes this comedian. <laughs> and it's like, okay, actually, so not what Happening. No, no, it's Amazing. not what's happening. We we go we go take for tech. So I love I, that. I, I really enjoy, which is good because that will help him. Too. Like, <laughs> okay, he's an ally somewhere, and like, it'll develop his comedy. You know, like exposure. So I'm curious because I feel like uh, a lot's been happening, and I know that mm-hmm. you're now on the National Lampoon mm-hmm. Radio Hour, which is very exciting. Yeah. I'm curious about because this is different for everyone. Like, what's your journey been with? Your career and with relationships. Mm, that's very timely. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, answer however much you... Honestly, oh no, honestly, a lot has changed in the last, like, few months for me. Mm. And I, when I first got started, I really was not dating. I wasn't dating anyone. I had, I had been in a relationship before I moved here, and so... Uh, once that was over and I, like, risked everything and, like, came over here, I was like, you know, that would just really be a distraction to, like, my process right mm. now. So I was just really out here hoeing, like, <laughs> hoeing, ho, ho, hoeing. Like, like I was living in Harlem, you know, doing my open mics and working my jobs, and then I would, like, just go find somebody and, like, you know, have a have a romp, have a time. You were doing scruff? Grinder and Jack. I wasn't right? doing scruff. You were doing Jack. I though. wasn't doing Grinder either, really, because okay. like the Grinder as a black person, and I'm a, I, I can only speak for me. It just feels like walking through a Confederate state. <laughs> like just like it's just too much. You liable to be called a nigger at any moment, and it's not fun. Yeah. Like, I tried Grinder for like a second, and then I was like, like I'm, I checked out of this. Yeah. Uh, Jack was my go-to because I'm like, okay, I, I see a little, <laughs> I see a little bit more of this going on with me. Uh, you know, it was cool, but then you know, you get, you get, you know. You can get drugs there sometimes too. Mm. It's a little mar- it's also like a low key marketplace. Uh some things you don't want and some <laughs> things you do. Um but yeah, so I was doing a lot of that, like kinda just, you know, being a little promiscuous, you know, taking care of myself though for the public. <laughs> <laughs> I, I encourage healthy a healthy sexual appetite, everyone. Yes. Let's make sure that we're all good here. Yes. Um, um playing safe. Um yeah, I, I I did a lot of that, but it was it was actually freeing. It was freeing because yeah. I, I got to really learn what I liked and what I didn't like. It also helped me develop my standup because I got to learn like the the kind of things that I found humorous to me about my life. Yeah, like I had some, I got some life experiences out of it. You know, I learned you know threesome, yes, foursome. Hmm? Seems like a tag team match. I don't. I don't know if I like that. I like triple threat matches better than I like tag team matches. Triple threat is a little more exciting. Gold, <laughs> silver, bronze. You know yeah. what I mean. So I. I can deal with that. Uh, you know, and I just learned. I. I learned a lot about. You know, myself. Mm. And I, I was like, I just wasn't ready to deal with someone else because when I was living, when I first started living here, I was. In uh, it was a relationship that was beneficial to me, but not at the same time because I was living in his place and I didn't have a place, so I was living with him. But he was doing his thing, party promoter. That so that's 
that's a disaster from the start, you know? Um, and, and it's kind of crazy to date a party promoter when you go to the club and your name ain't on the list. Oof. And that was my reality, you know? You st- so you fucking the party promoter, but you still got to pay to get in? Oh that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. That's like psychological warfare, so which one, is hot. Yeah, yeah, you know, which is, you know, I stuck around for a little bit, but once I was able to move out, I'm like, you know what, Alex, this is, I'm always able to, like, notice when things aren't going the way they should. I'm like, all right. It's time to move out of here and like really come on, come on, Alex. This you're better than this. Yeah. Um. So comedy allowed me to like with when it came to dating, it was pretty loose. I was pretty loose <laughs> at, <laughs> in the beginning. Now a little bit more recently, I have been making an effort. I don't know if I can say valiant. I don't know if it's been a valiant effort, but I've been making an effort to date more because like I think once you start getting a job and once you start getting booked and you're making a little more money or you're a bit more secure in your situation and you know you can make start making a living off of comedy yeah then it's like oh now i can separate my career for a second i can walk away from like take That's a week amazing. and like go on a date with some guys go out and like actually talk and look somebody in the face instead of mm-hmm. just like oh let's just fucking like move like I'm, now i'm starting to be a little more cognizant of it's also the 30s thing i'm like okay alex do you want to be do you really want to be that old ass motherfucker at the club that you see all the time in your twenties? You know, because we all know, we all will know. know what that guy is. I know it's the same creepy dude. I'm like, I don't think I want to travel into that space. There's, so if I want to do that, I got to get a man. <laughs> what's so crazy with gay age is like, I'll meet guys and I'll be like, oh, he's my age, and then he's 23, and then sometimes I'll meet guys and be like, he's totally my age, and he's like. How old are you? I'm 29. Okay, yeah. But you'll meet a guy and be like, oh, he's 40 and he's acting like a 22-year-old. So you know what what I think, and I don't think this is a a unique thought to me alone, but I think a lot of people feel the same way. A lot of like the boomer gay generation, they spent so much time, a lot of them, if you think about it, like people who would be like our father's ages or our uncle's ages who are gay, like – they spent so much time being in the closet and having everything so underground for them that now they probably look at us even like young middle like kind of like middle to like the middle of the road millennials and they're looking at us like well these bitches get to be out running around roaming the streets and just having a ball you know what i mean like exactly. and, and so i think there's this peter pan thing going on where they're still living out their youth, which they should, yeah. you know, they, everybody should be able to have a good time and enjoy their lives. But to us, it looks like, oh, look, you could be, you are old and like, you just old. You are old. You are old, ratty old dude just at the bar. You in your 40s, ugh, you know, like, yeah. and I'm just like, no, let, let these guys like enjoy totally. it. I also defend them because I sleep with them too, you know? Oh, same, <laughs> literally. Same. But you, you are looking to. Integrate more. Yeah, I have toned it. I have toned it down with the older men too because I've found that I'm like this isn't this isn't gonna be like a long. I do have some friends though that are our age and like are in relationships with men in their 45. 40, oh yeah, you know that's I mean? great. And I'm like, okay, if if that's if that's helping you, I don't think it will help me push my life further someone oh i need to it needs to be someone close to the age to me for me. I, I think we have to be having like similar life stuff happening even if we aren't doing the same thing. I know. Yeah. I know. I agree. Yeah, yeah I'm learning that too. Yeah. Um so now that you're looking at your 30s, like what are you not what are your goals, but like what what interests you? What are you hoping to do or experience or whatever? I mean, I really kind of I want to I do want to run the gamut like of like what entertainment for a comedian looks like. Yeah. So like, okay, you know, you put out a stand-up special that's definitely on the list, high up on the list. You make your own TV show, high up on the list. Yes. You write a movie that's there. Um, um, um. I mean, I never thought about. I mean, acting still kind of makes me nauseous, but okay. now, now that I'm, people are starting to ask me to do these things. Like, I'm like, okay, oh, I didn't know I could audition. Nothing I knew about before. I did all of it. Every, everything has been a learning process. So I've really been taking everything like one step, one day, one month, one second at a time. Just, you know, because I'm always constantly learning something different. That's something that has been consistent with 
my career at least is that like I didn't know anything about an open mic and then I ended up doing all the open mics. Mm. Then someone I think Marsha Belsky had to tell me once we were like at a mic and she was like, Are you going to Cabin? I'm like, What the hell is Cabin? She's like, Uh, it's a show. I'm like, What are you talking about? Show? She's like, it's a comedy show. I'm like, what do you mean? Like a bar show? Like a show at a bar, like it's open mic? She's like, yeah. It's a it's a, it's like it's like the bar at open mic, but it's a show and there are actual people there. I was like, You can do comedy in front of people? <laughs> Because, like, outside of, like, the bringers and stuff, I hadn't done, like, a bar show yet. Yeah. I was just doing all of the mics. And so she took me with her. And I was like, holy shit, you can just, like, crazy. have a comedy show at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> and it's free. And people are just sitting there. And, you're en- and y'all are enjoying this? I was, like, so taken out of my world. And so then, you know, you run shows. And then you do those things around the city. And then, then you know, then it just takes off from there. Each step at a time. And it really has seemed, when I look back, like... It seems like every year something else happened that I learned the process or I learned the business, mm-hmm. something that I didn't learn before that I know before. So I'm like, as long as that keeps happening, I think I'm going to continue to be, you know, gonna, I'm going to like that ascension will take place that I'm looking for. Because honestly, nothing is going the way I planned. Oh, my God. And I'm like, so I just stopped planning. <laughs> like the, it's crazy like it's good it's, to have a plan but it's also like you don't know what's gonna happen this business is very unpredictable you don't know like like what in the business calls for something new all the time but what I am happy about is the fact and you brought up the gay whites in the community as you know as a, as opposed to like my voice or whatever but I am really happy that there are so many there is, there is a larger pool now at least of gay black men in comedy because mm. I'm like, you know, what I, what I can say about us, different from the white gays and comedy, n- I can't none none of us sound the same. No, I don't. I, think I don't. I, we option. all we all have our own individual thing going on. Yeah. I, I I literally, and it makes me happy because I enjoy all of them. <laughs> do you feel like you guys get kind of marooned and you don't get to like be on the same lineups a lot or are you getting sometimes yeah, okay. and it bums me out yeah, I, I right. would love like I just love I would love for us to like you know be one day it just be like a majority of us or something just so we so it can someone could see back to back to back to back like oh wow do we just see three queer black men yeah on stage fucking fucking it up like yeah. cause I know I know it's the, the pos- it's it's possible but yeah I love like Every black gay dude in comedy. <laughs> yeah, and I do think, like, when I think of, even when I think about, like, Jay Jordan, uh-huh. he loves to fuck with people, too. Like, yeah. you do have that thing of, like, y- it's such a specific point of view that you can, you, you're enjoying it for yourself. Because we can. Yeah. I, th- I think we can. I think, I think we enjoy the license of, like, say, like, we're, like, the second tier, we're, like, the tier beneath, like, black women. Because, like, black women can really say whatever the hell they want. That we're living in that time where they can really kind of just go for it. You yeah. know, Sam J really lets the crowd have it, yes. you know. And that I'm every time I watch Sam, I'm, like, I'm really just trying to get there. Like, I'm yeah. trying to, I'm trying to really just be, like, you know what? I don't need you, you fucking, all of you, after Trump all of you elected, people Sam, suck. Yeah, after, after that election, <laughs> Sam was, like, you all pieces of I'm, shit. Sam said, like, I'm going to say whatever I want. I'm a black lesbian woman. You can't tell me shit. <laughs> and she's not wrong. She's not wrong. She is, she is literally the beacon for queer black comedy right now. <laughs> I want everybody to know that. I'm putting that on the record, okay? <laughs> amazing. Fucking amazing. love Sam um, I, I guess I want to ask how the national, like, what is the, I don't really understand what the National Lampoon thing. <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> so it is the National Lampoon Radio Hour okay. podcast. So um, back in 70, ugh, 74, 75, the National Lampoon um, uh, came out with the radio hour. It was, it, this is actually something that predates Saturday Night Saturday Night Live. It was literally the year before Saturday Night Live. And um, you had you had people like uh, Howard Remus and uh, Gilda Radner mm. and uh, Jim Belushi, Chevy Chase, and uh, like this cast of, of individuals who played these characters and did these really short sketches on the radio. Uh, and you know, National Lampoon has like a cult following of like people from from the from like way back in the seventies who were familiar with the comic books and all of the movies that they came out with in the nineties. Mm. Uh, but with the Radio Hour, it was literally just one year on the radio, and then SNL like acquired like they snatched up Gilda, they snatched up Chevy. Right. So all of those people who like on the very first cast of Saturday Night Live 
came from National Lampoon and were on the radio hour. So they had never done it before. So we are a part of the revival mm. of the National Lampoon. Now, the only difference is, well, it's not the only difference, but the only difference is that it is now in podcast form because who's going to listen to it on the radio? Right. So we uh, linked up with uh, the Forever Dog Network and their uh, uh, National Lampoon is rebranding. I think it's going on the 50th anniversary. So they a part of this reboot of like the entire brand, this restructuring of the brand. They were like, this is the perfect time to bring back the radio hour. Amazing. So they got a cast of 10 fools <laughs> to uh, write a bunch of crazy sketches. We wrote like over 200 sketches, I think. Whoa. Because they were all so short. Great cast. Yeah. Very funny cast. Like it was crazy because everybody with the exception of Megan Stalter, um, I have worked for, I had worked with right. in the past on something or had like That's been on really stage, cool. stages before. And we all were familiar with each other's work. So when I got the email about it, you know, when they offered it to me, when I saw Cola Scola and Joe Firestone, I was like, oh, holy shit, that's great. They didn't tell us who else had been confirmed yet. So when you walk in the room, Aaron Jackson, you see Aaron Jackson, yeah. you see Martin Urbano, yeah. you see Rachel Pegram, <laughs> Lorelai, Ramirez, Maeve, Maeve Higgins, Megan, uh, yeah. like, you know, it's just, it's, it's. Brett Davis. It's mm. like, I'm like, oh, I know these people. This is awesome. I don't have to worry. Nobody, and it's like, nobody was crazy. Nobody had a huge ego. Yeah. Everybody got along. We all wrote for one another. Like, you know, it wasn't just like, I wrote this thing and it's all of my, it's me, 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 me. Like, I would literally be like, Joe, I think you can read for this. Rachel, like, we all did. Mm. We all worked together so well. Um, and they literally let us do whatever we want. Like they let they, they there was no heavy notes from anything, and that's the that's the really that's that's the benefit I think to doing a show like this for a podcast where we don't have any. I mean, we got sponsors to think about, but some people like I think people are going to really like enjoy what we're doing because in the age of podcasts right now, I got a lot of people. I get a lot of people, especially when they see me on stage um, or I, when I do my show with Gary and Devin, and we have our banter on stage at the top of the show. A lot of people have told me, Alex, you should do a podcast. You should host a podcast. And I'm like, oh, my God, please don't ask me to be that person. Because, like, I, like as as thankful as I am that people, I'm always appreciative when someone thinks that I'm finds me so interesting and so engaging right. and wants to hear my voice. I, on the other hand, my own insecurities, I'm like, I don't think people want to hear me every week. You know, like, I just, and I also just am worried that I'm like, I don't know if I have, like, a ton of things to say like that. Yeah, I think you're better as like a guest, a special guest. I'm a like, great guest. With Sydney and Marie, I know like anytime you pop like pop on, it's like okay, Alex is here, like member of the family. So you know what I mean. Like yeah. I like being that friend to the show. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna be like all week. yeah because it'll, it'll be exhausting for me too. Right. I'd much rather y'all come out to a show than like sit sit and listen to me every week talking about whatever the hell. Uh, but so I think when people saw that I was on this podcast because I was so vocally like. I'm not doing a podcast. Right. Now I'm on a podcast. But the difference is, you know, I think this is a great break from all of the podcasts. There's a lot of podcasts out right now, you know? It's a like lot of noise. A lot, a lot, it's a lot. And yeah. a lot of, like, <clears throat> interviews and sit-down talks and stuff like that that are all very interesting. But I think in this day, I think people want—people do, obviously, because, like, there's been a lot of scripted podcasts that have done gone on to do very, very well. So in this case, we're—it's just a bunch of characters. It's a bunch of noise. It's a bunch of fools. You, I mean, we're taking you into some really, really crazy worlds. But I love what you're saying about um, how you knew everyone because, like, yeah. I think that when you try to be in this world, you, it can be so career-driven and you-driven that it mm -hmm. can get really mercenary. But there is something about, like, because there's this larger community and we all have these kind of shared history together and you want to respect everyone, it keeps you from becoming, like, a monster because you're yeah. like – yeah, you like all those people and you want to be nice to them and you want them exactly. to be nice to you. And, I mean, me and Rachel Pegram are low-key African-American history because, yeah. I mean, it's a reach, but Rachel and I are the first African-American cast members of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. That's also, Lorelai Ramirez is the first non-binary cast <laughs> of that. There's a lot of history being made here. Yes. <laughs> yes, and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like for two for two like for for it to be just one uh, one revival, you know. Yeah, and it's not it doesn't feel like random or token to hey. me. It, it doesn't because it's, it's actually collaborative. It, this it is feels the most organic. Diverse, yeah, it's the most. It's really very. It's quite diverse. There, yeah. it's, this is literally, and it's not for the sake of. Exactly, that's what it, it's organic. Yeah, diverse. it's not for the sake of, and it's also like we all know each other, so we all know each other's comedic 
sensibilities, and we all know who can do what. Okay, Lorelai, uh, when it says robot, Lorelai already knows they're on deck. You know, they're on deck. They're, oh, that, that's me. Obviously. When it says bitch, that's you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> or when it says Kanye West, Alex, come on, we need you. Yeah, I play Kanye West. You know, but but you know, it's funny. I, I can I can I can I can tell you this much. This is like a like a tease. Tea. The only famous black men I play on this show are all crazy. So okay. it's OJ Simpson, it's Kanye West, yeah. So and, and that was by choice. <laughs> so your show at the Jane Hotel, when yeah. is it? Uh, the next one, um, it's usually every first Monday of okay. the month, and if it's not the first Monday, then it's the following one. Okay. Uh, it's called Dad. It's called Dad. It's at the Jane Hotel. Um, it's at eight o'clock on December first. Uh, hosted by myself. Devin Walker and Gary Richardson. Okay, so where can we be following you? Um, I am on Instagram and on Twitter, Alex English. The E that spells English is a three. The number three numerical. Yes, mm. we went that route with mm-hmm. it. Kabbalah. Yo, oh, 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 numerology. Numerology. <laughs> uh, I have a website, AlexEnglishComedy.com, but like. For like all my show stuff, you can just like I'm, I'm posting my shows on and Instagram every day. And I do think yeah. you have the, for me, top three Twitters. Thank top you. Top three. Just I know if like <laughs> if like a white Republican dies, I'm like you know Alex probably is on the case. I mean, like there's always something really nice and salty there. I just always look. I always wait. I, I feel like there's a there's an art to it because like you have to kind of just like wait and see what everybody else is saying and then. Then I go for the thing. Not, not, not like contrarian, but I like go for like something that I didn't hear or see mm-hmm. anyone do. Which is nice. I, I just, I'm just always waiting. I'm always yeah. kind of, you got you to gotta pick your spots. So I'm like, okay, like, where can I like slide my little comment in here where people will be like, and I always get the same comment. When people, people, the way people reply to me online sometimes, it's always just like, Alex. I know. <laughs> come on. Oh my God, Alex. And I'm, and I'm like sitting in the corner acting like I didn't do nothing. Like, what? What? That's really my relationship with a lot of people. Like, they'll be like, Alex, did you have to say that? What? What did I say? <laughs> I didn't hear anything. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you should have seen it coming. Deny. Yeah. I, I, I am, I, my friends, I, I, I do deny. deny. Deny, deny. As soon as I, as soon as something <laughs> leaves my mouth, I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Throw a rock and hide your hand. <laughs> Alex, thank you for being here. Um, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. This, so I, haven't, I haven't been in this neighborhood in a while. I know, this is it's weird for me. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of The Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five-star rating on iTunes. Write a glowing encomium. Share it on your Instagram stories. Email it to your Aunt Joan. And help make this series bigger and better with every episode. Thank you for listening, and let's grow together. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.